class. Please be quiet. Welcome to the RPG Academy Network presents Film Studies. Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast. My name is Michael and I'm joined tonight by not one, not two, but three special guest co-hosts for this newest uh, Film Studies episode where we're going to take a look at G.I. Joe Rise of Cobra. This is the 2009 action extravaganza based on the popular kids toy and cartoon line from the 80s. This film was directed by Stephen Summers and written by Stuart Beatty and David Elliott, as well as Paul Lovett. And it stars Channing Tatum as Duke, Dennis Quaid as General Hawk, Joseph Gordon-Levitt as the Doctor slash Rex slash Cobra Commander, uh, Lee Brong Hung, my apologies, as Storm Shadow, Ray Park as Snake Eyes, Sienna Miller as the Baroness, Rachel Nichols as Scarlet, Marlon Waynes as Ripcord, and honestly, many, many more, too many to name. Uh, before we get too far into the show, let's take attendance and see who's joining us today. So, Enrique, please say hello to everyone. Tell us everyone who you are and a little bit about yourself, please. Hi, everybody. My name is Enrique. I uh, blog online as NubiDM on Twitter and on my blog. Um, I usually am online talking about role-playing games, D&D, uh, geeky stuff like Star Wars and, and all sorts of nerdy stuff. Uh, and I'm very happy to be here. I love movies. I love gaming. So this is a great uh, combination for me. Excellent. I'm very, very happy to have you with me tonight, sir. But also joining us is Thomas. Thomas, say hello, everyone. Uh, hey, everyone. My name is Tom. Um, I'm one of the hosts of Shared Sagas, an Australian actual play role-playing game podcast. Um, long-time uh, fan of RPG Academy. So, you know, very uh, privileged and honored to be here today. Should be a lot of fun. Thank you very much. And I, you know, always happy to have you on the show. And then finally, Dave. Dave, say hello to everyone. Hi everyone, my name's David. I'm a Brisbane in, in Australia, Brisbane-based RPG designer and game master and putative podcaster uh, working on a secret project with Morgan Jenkins from Going In Blind and uh, try to bring out the best in my hobby in terms of inclusion and positivity and kindness and I'm a long-time fan of the RPG Academy. It was this and one other show that got me back into the hobby. So every game I've run, has a, a line that leads back to the great work that Michael's done to open the hobby up to others. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Tigranosaurus1, which is what happens if you have a hybrid of a tiger and a Tyrannosaurus. And I'm not the first person to have thought of it, apparently, because Tigranosaurus was gone. Wow. Wow, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> uh, well, thank you as well. And then just for everyone, I will have uh, show notes so any links to socials or podcasts, anything that you want to check out, you'll be able to do so easily because I know I couldn't spell Tigranosaurus if I was, you know, gun to my head. Uh, I can't so, and it's my handle. <laughs> uh, so quick content warning. This is pretty much, I think it's a PG-13 movie. So I don't think there's anything in the movie we should be worried about. And explicit language on the show is fine. We try to limit it a little bit, but if it comes out, it's not that big of a deal, but you have been warned. All right, so we're going to start with you, uh, Enrique slash NewBDM. What is your one sentence or two sentence review of this movie, as long as well as um, your rating of the movie out of five stars? So uh, I had never watched this movie before. I saw it last night for the first time. Um, it happens to be streaming on HBO Max. If anybody is interested in watching the movie after we finish. Um, talking about it. Uh, my one star review, and I should preface this by saying that I love G.I. Joe. I, I grew up on G.I. Joe. I grew up on the toys. I used to have all the action figures, um, but it did not feel like I was watching G.I. Joe on screen. And my, uh, my five-star review for this movie is a one star only because I was asked to rate it between one and five and zero wasn't an option. <laughs> and, and my sentence review is this movie should have been named G.I. Joe, a bunch of loud bullshit. Um, <laughs> Because that's all the movie is. It's just a bunch of set pieces and loud BS, uh, one after another, uh, operating as a, uh, apparently operating, thinking it's a script, but it's not. Um, and that's my review. Excellent. I guess by that, you could tell what I think about the movie. Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate that. And Tom, how about you, sir? Right. So my, <laughs> I guess my one sentence tagline would be, it is without a doubt, the single most over the top extra 
contemporary modern pulp action movie ever made. Okay. And I'm, 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 I'm comparing that to all the most ridiculous uh, Fast and the Furious movies, the Mission Impossible ones. It, this, this tops them all. Like, and as far as a review goes, I have to, like so many movies by this director, I, I have to separate the objective review from my personal subjective review because I'm pretty basic. I love over-the-top action stuff. So for me personally, I was entertained a lot, particularly for the first half, and I'd give it maybe like a four okay. or a three. But then on the other hand, objectively as a movie, th- this is a one or a zero if that was available. <laughs> so I, I have to split the difference. In, and I always like to be positive, so I'll split the difference on a three. Great. Excellent. Okay. And finally, Dave, how about you, sir? My, I have three one-sentence one reviews for you, <laughs> but if I was rewriting the poster, this is what I would do. My first is, inside every bad movie is a good game trying to get out. Okay, I like that. Good. My other is, this game would have been a great game, but is a very bad movie. <laughs> I like that one. Yeah. And my last is... Watching this, I could almost feel the game master face palming at the player choices. <laughs> uh, so, I don't, don't disagree with it. There were a few moments where though, I would face palm at what the GM was doing, but we'll talk about that. Yeah, yeah. So as a movie watcher, I would never have watched this and probably won't again. <laughs> um, it, it was my nine-year-old twins with all of their toys spread out over the floor, just coming up with the most insane reasons why this toy is playing with that toy. And I respect that. But yeah, look, one star as a movie, but as a game master, like after this movie implodes, which it does, uh, there were some pieces of wreckage and shrapnel that I would absolutely pick up and put in a game. And I'm looking forward to talking about. All right. Fantastic. Uh, and then actually for myself, uh, I give it a three out of five star. So I'm, I think by far the most positive about it. And my review would be at first, I was confused why this movie didn't make like a billion dollars. And then I finished watching it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's move on to like what happens in this movie. Uh, the Mars Weapons Lab under the leadership of McCullen has developed a new nanite weapon warhead. Four of these warheads are set to be delivered to NATO and are being transported by a group of soldiers led by Duke and Ripcord. They are then attacked en route, leading to the warheads being taken and Duke and Ripcord being recruited into the Joes, an ultra-elite multinational military force under the leadership of General Hawk. Duke's ex-fiance is somehow working with this covert organization, which includes the Doctor, an evil scientist using nanites to create super soldiers, and Storm Shadow, a ninja who is also a jerk. One of the warheads is detonated in Paris, leading to an international incident, which could perhaps cause the disbanding of G.I. Joe. The other three warheads and Duke were then captured. This leads to the big finale at the polar ice cap and the secret base beneath it, which then leads to the capture of the newly named Cobra Commander, who was also the evil doctor, but who is also the brother of Duke's ex, who went rogue for the nanites. Oh, and apparently Snake Eyes is an American ninja who used to train with Storm Shadow. Apparently they're like brothers and then he killed him, maybe. There's probably more and I miss some stuff, but honestly, it's just too much. So with that out of the way, I'll start with you. Uh, I'll start with you, David, since I've kind of went the other way. Uh, Talk to me about anything about this movie that you really liked or didn't like. Just sort of, you know, like you mentioned there were some parts from a movie going you didn't really care for, but from the game you did. So can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, let, let's just say the representation of women and minorities really is date-stamped at 2008 mm. um, and wasn't great for 2008 standards. I don't know what you mean. We had both blondes, brunettes, and redheads in the movie. That's, that's quite, a lot, quite a lot of diversity, in my opinion. And they, and they all got their body armor from the same place that yep. couldn't afford to do the top third. Correct. But these brave, women, these brave women went into combat anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so things that I liked, I really like the idea of this 10 nation secret army. As a GM, when I've given my players the freedom to make whatever character they want and be that masks or be that D&D, and you as the game master get these all back and you look at them and go, what on earth is there a reason for these people to be together? 
I like the idea of saying, well, your head of state has told you you're in this team and you are going to make it work. And you can kind of hand wave it going, you're the best of the best of the best of the best. And so are they. So you will respect them and work together as a team. I liked that. Uh, I really like the grey goo bomb because if I just talk D&D briefly, like I can't see that having an armor class. I can't see it having hit points. You nominally can't defeat it just by punching it. So I like the I liked that as Chekhov's grey goo. And again, that's a very 2008 nano, nanobots will turn the world into grey goo fear at that time imprinted yeah. in this movie. Uh, I loved the undersea base madness. Uh, shout out to Rich Howard. Like, why why have a gunfight on the surface of the ice cap when you can do it in manned torpedoes that have weapons underneath? Yep. Uh, yep. And this is where I feel for the GM. I I kind of weirdly liked that the bad guys girlfriend was the good guy's girlfriend and the brother was the evil doctor it was very um like uh south american telenovela daytime tv everyone's linked to everything uh kind of vibe that that i liked trying to trying to tie that stuff together i think there's a screenwriting um element and okay you may be able to clarify i think it's like conservation of plot like don't use a new character when you can use an existing character to fill that role and i feel like that's what they did here is like every time they needed a new character they're like let's just use a different one we've already have <laughs> yes and they leaned in on relationships a lot as a gm but we'll talk about that later yeah, yeah. And, and, and i think my... that's like a we used to call this when I used to work at Target a strength out of control. Like when you're so good at something, it becomes a negative. I kind of feel like that's what happened here because it started off like, okay, this is interesting. And then it just got absurd. But I apologize, yeah. David, please continue. And um, my last two things was as far as tone, I really liked the no grays. There was just black and white. It was classic GI Joe, blue lasers, red lasers were like, the bad guys are just bad, full stop. And the good guys are like conflicted, but good. Um, and it was like the tropes galore, collect the set um, business going on. And I liked the villain motivation, simple though it is, the villain motivation of I am going to try and create chaos everywhere because then people will turn to the person who's the most powerful to create order. And if it's good enough for Darth Vader and the Empire... <laughs> It's good enough for Cobra Commander. <laughs> oh, this, I feel like, and I, obviously I'm going to give everyone a chance to go in a second, but I feel like this movie, because it was a long movie, it was like a full two hours, but I feel like they cut an hour out between minute 158 and 159 because it was actually kind of like this slow build and you're like, you know, you're trying to figure out like what the ultimate plan was. And mm. then the, within one minute, they just just completely turned like, okay, now I'm Cobra Commander. This is everything that happened. I, I feel like that was supposed to be like an extra hour. And they're just like, there's no way people are going to sit through another hour of this. <laughs> All right, Tom, I'll go to you next, sir. What, what, are you, what thoughts did you have here? So first and foremost, I, I really, really love the way that Steven Summers, the director, does action. Um, as far as, once again, separating a movie that is objectively terrible, but subjectively I adore, Another movie by him, Van Helsing, is my prime example of that because I love Van Helsing, but it is terrible. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it's, and, you know, of course, he also did The Mummy and The Mummy Returns. And so I really think that a lot of the action scenes in this are very, very well directed, just uh, cinematically. Um, uh, uh, some of the fighting where it doesn't get too completely over the top and frantic at the end is pretty cool. Uh, I really, really like the kitchen brawl with the two kids in particular. I thought that was a really fun little little scene. I think those two kids actually did a better job than most of the adults. Although, you know, Ray Park is always good value. Um, I liked a lot of, I, I like the fact that it knew exactly what it was. It, it was just, we are making a movie of this 1980s cartoon and they may not have done it well, but they certainly just were not afraid to hold back as, as he never is, you know, all these movies are over the top. So I love the fact that they just had exactly as David said, you know, green lasers, blue lasers, every vehicle you can possibly imagine, you know, in GI Joe, nobody just gets in one vehicle together. It's one each, 
you know, to go to the same place. It's just, yeah, it's, I love the, I appreciate the over the top spectacle of it as much as uh, towards the end, I was looking at it and just utterly baffled by what I was seeing. I just yeah. thought they just, they, they turned it, it, they broke off the handle trying to turn it up further than a living. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely like, there were moments when I was watching the action and I thought this makes no sense. Mm. but it makes perfect sense in a game because yeah. that's the type of action I want in most of my RPGs. I want it to be over the top where someone throws a car at me and my option is to jump through the car, you know, yeah. or jump through <laughs> the train that that's like, that's a viable option. So I actually really like that from a standpoint of, you know, again, theater of the mind type cinematic combat in a, in a role-playing game where you do things like, okay, you're, you're on top of a car and they're trying to get you off the top of the car. So their, their, their only option here is to extend a cow catcher mm. somehow to then flip cars on top of their own car, hoping <laughs> that it make you go off. That is exactly yeah. something I would put into like a D and D type game, where yeah. of course that's what they do, because of course they have that button for that option. But exactly. yeah, watching the movie, I'm like, this makes no sense whatsoever. Uh, no, I feel and like we're, in your content warning, it it's like, dear listeners, if you're hearing us describe some scenes and you think we've kind of flipped out and <laughs> entered into some sort of peyote fever dream, no, we are actually referencing this movie. <laughs> this is an actual movie you can watch right now on hbo max or you can rent it uh or buy it if you just yeah hate yourself all right i mean don't though um but special yeah. sorry just really quickly a special shout out to that scene to the as far as the action scenes go i think most of the good action scenes are in the first half and i think that the paris street chase with the mecha suits the power suits sorry acceleration suits is uh, is really really well done but leading to what dave said is something i didn't like the representation of a lot of people uh, particularly women why scarlet wasn't one of the people in the acceleration suits i have no idea it makes no sense but sorry continue yeah all right and enrique please tell us uh, your thoughts here so wow so i have a lot um <laughs> first of all can we can we stop and and appreciate the fact that destro's entire motivation is that his family was treated harshly in the 1600s. And he happens to remember this and know the story. I don't know anything about my great grandparents and we're talking about, you know, 1920s. And this yeah. guy can go back to 1640 and uh, hold a grudge uh, over what happened to his great, 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 great time, you know. Well, great, well clearly he knows because he watched this movie because we right. actually start this movie with a splashback right. to 1641 to six, France. Which, which completely baffled me, but whatever. <laughs> um, that's great. So anyways, the, the one thing as a GM, and I'll be quick about this, the one thing as a GM that I really took out of this movie that I said, okay, this is, this is really something I, I could use in a game is the characters were so over the top, right? And I'm, and I'm talking specifically about guys like Cobra Commander, guys like Destro, who had these personalities that you could take take them and use them as the bad guys in your game, right? So Cobra Commander had this weird doctor thing going on and he was kind of overacting and, and Gordon Hewitt, you could tell he was just like enjoying, relishing this role. Uh, he was having fun with it, right? And you take those type of, of, of things into your game and you can make, you know, NPCs that, that stand out or are kind of memorable. Um, so, so that's, that was my biggest takeaway, like a guy like Destro and his over-the-top delivery of lines and the doctor. And, you know, and even a guy like Duke, uh, what's his name, um, the, the young actor. Painting Tatum. Yeah, so even him, like, he, he had some cheesy lines that you could sort of take and use them in your game because they work and they're fun and, and people get a laugh out. And I remember when they got to the North Pole, the first line they said was, wow, that's a lot of ice. Like, come on. <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> That's like, you know, the line in Jurassic Park. Well, that's one big pile of shit when they're looking at the, <laughs> at the, at the dinosaur poop. Yeah. Uh, come on. That, that, you know, they're cheesy lines, but they're fun. Like you could take stuff like that. You could use that line right now in Icewind Dale, for example, in the D&D uh, module, if you're mm -hmm. playing Icewind Dale, you know, you could be standing right. in the sea of moving ice and say, oh, wow, that's a lot of ice. Wow, yeah, that's no a, lot shit, of ice. a lot of ice. You're standing, yeah. <laughs> you're in the North Pole. So, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I, you know, that, that's the stuff that I, that I really looked at as, as a GM and said, okay, this is the stuff that I would take for this game because there's really... You know, in a game like D&D, &D, uh, I don't know how much of a, you know, uh, motion suits and, and those tanks and stuff I'm going to really borrow from that for, for a fantasy game, which is what I mostly play. Um, but certainly the personalities and the, and the lines and some of the over-the-top characterizations of the NPCs, you could definitely steal from and use and it would work perfectly well. Um, I agree. 
if I if you if you allow me to make one complaint though, and this is very quick, if I'm gonna sit down and watch a GI GI Joe movie, I expect to see GI Joe, and not just because you call a guy Duke or call a guy Flint, you're watching GI Joe. Like this gotta have some recognizable things about GI Joe, and I felt like wow, none of this stuff, you know, this isn't the stuff I played with. Where's GI Joe that I played with? But whatever. That, that, that was one of my big takeaways. These licensed movies that ignore the license they're buying, you know. Yeah. And, but whatever, I digress. That's, that's not the topic at hand. Yeah, well, uh, Brandon Fraser shows up at one point and he, what, do we know the name of his character? Because I know it's from the comic. It's because there's Hawk and Duke and then there's the other guy who's like there's the leader. Flint. There's Flint. Flint. I think yeah. that's who he was, was Flint. He just shows up for like one scene, which was great. Um, <laughs> So, I mean, yeah, this movie is not good as a movie, though there are elements, like to me, it was prototypical or like the prototype for Avengers. It basically mm. is a superhero movie. These are military people, but they are so far above beyond normal human capabilities that they're basically superheroes, which I do think will lead to later that if I was going to run this, it would probably be a superhero RPG that I would just tone down a little rather than from like a quote unquote classic D&D type game where I try to you know build them up to those types of levels. But I really kind of like the opening, like the, the overall plot doesn't make a lot of sense but the opening is you have these two people who are quote-unquote normal but they're also elite like you know ripcord and duke were clearly the two best soldiers in their unit because there's only two that survived then they get thrown into the situation that is so far above them these the bad guys have equipment and tactics that are so far superior they're just outgunned in every way but then they get brought into this larger world. And I, I know that I've ran that exact same thing in an RPG before where our characters are on a routine mission, like they're taking a caravan across the desert or through the swamps of Nevermore. And then they get attacked by something. Usually there it's magical and evil, but our, our heroes survive. And then they kind of get brought into this, you know, they get more information. They get let in on this secret, whether it's like Harry Potter and magical world or something else. And then now you have the capabilities to actually fight them and not only can you do that but the people who are already there who've been around and all this for years need you to actually come in and wear the suits and be the actual heroes it's super classic storytelling where you take your character and put them in the spotlight and from that aspect i actually really enjoyed it i was like i'm on board and again you got duke's ex-fiance happens to be the baroness and they <laughs> fell apart because he got her brother killed. Not really. What really his fault, but his brother got killed. But actually, no, his brother, wow, her brother wasn't killed. He becomes the evil doctor scientist guy. And she doesn't recognize him. Like, I knew immediately that's Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Like, how can she not recognize her brother? But I guess she was nanite controlled. So I love those cheesy over-the-top reveals that, no, your brother's not dead. He's actually here. And actually, you've been nanite controlled this entire time. Like, that's such cheesy RPG goodness. And from that aspect, I really, really liked it. Um, I hated Snake Eyes' lips. There's no reason why mm. that suit needed lips. Uh, <laughs> that was just, oh, awful. But it's the very unsettling. It's very, very unsettling. But the ultimate plot was for the G.I. Joes to succeed because this was all just a ruse to uh, infiltrate the White House and supplant the president of the United States <laughs> with their agent who went, who was already a master of disguise. And actually, I really liked the couple times he did that, like when he became the guy in the desert with the eye patch. Like, that was kind of, kind of fun. Who, who happens to be Imhotep from The Mummy. Yes, correct. Yes. So uh, him and Brendan Fraser were probably a two-for-one deal. Oh, I loved it. Um, I thought it was Billy Zane at first, but no. Um, I, I thought so too. Yeah, I actually looked it up because I thought it was Billy Zane, but it's it's not. But the guy definitely has a resemblance to him. So apparently the attack was always supposed to fail on Washington or they just assumed that the Mars bunker would survive. And, and that again, I think Enrique brought this up specifically. The, the plot, the whole story here was that the world would turn to the most powerful person, who in this case would be the president, who's now our agent, and they would do things with that. But my question is, they must already have spent a trillion dollars. And this is a 2009 <laughs> trillion dollars. So it's probably like 2.6 in today's money on mm. this underwater base. What more do they need? They already have all the money and power they could possibly have. So okay. am, am I the only one who thought that that was straight out of Austin Powers, that base? Yes. And yes. They, had, they even had uniforms on and yep. 
And like some of the dudes working there were like just like normal Midwestern guys, you know, <laughs> they, they pulled them out of Ohio somewhere, you know, and they're like pulling levers and we're like, what do you find? Where did you find these people? You know, and, and so then many so of them. And then some so of them, impressive. some of them have the, the nanomites, the super soldiers do, but then the guys working the, the controls are just like normal dudes cashing a paycheck yeah. in the North Pole. Like, come on. <laughs> I mean, Roger Moore from Moonraker looks at this base and goes, hey, come now. Yeah. <laughs> That's a yeah. that's a bit much. It was so over the top. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it had had an elevator that goes from the top. It has missile silos. It has detonations. Like they they already had the foresight that eventually we're going to need to destroy our base. So let's go ahead and plan our own explosives here, just in case. Though though my favorite absurdity of the entire movie, which is full of absurdity, is that the good guys happen to have a fish like robot camera oh, yes. system like they just had that yes. with them you know the stealth just, tuna the stealth tuna because you know somebody's like someday we might just might <laughs> have to this is why our this i'm going to talk real for me this is why the u.s government's military budget is in the trillions of dollars because they make fish cameras just <laughs> listen you never know you never know that is that is absolutely true. All right, in David, my mind, Michael, when that that was that moment when I was thinking your kids are playing on the rug, and one of them's knocked the zoo animals over, and there's just a fish <laughs> lying on the rug, and one's gone. Yeah, well, this fish has a camera, so I can actually <laughs> see your base. So no, my guys uh -huh. are coming anyway. Oh, I love that. Um, I happened to notice again. I don't know if you must say, but when when uh, Duke and Ripcord were training to try to make sure they could get included. Uh, they're tracking their progress almost like a video game and they're like you know they're going through these holographic kill scenarios and I actually paused it and at the time Duke every shot that he hit was a kill but he only hit about 50% of the time and I'm not sure what that exactly says because his miss ratio was around 49% but his kill to hit ratio was 100%. I find that a little concerning that he was missing, completely missing every other bullet, but every bullet that hit was a kill shot. I just thought that was a little bit interesting. Um, if, so, you look at the, if you look at the original G.I. Joe cartoon, they never hit anybody. Right, no, no one ever hit. And also the very first scene is we have a helicopter gets blown up and no one ejects out. We do not have our classic parachuting down. So we knew right off the bat, this was not G.I. Joe, but they did. <laughs> Oh, go ahead. Sorry, sorry. But the other thing real quick, the other thing that, that I did think about and back to bringing back to RPGs was they do throw out classic lines there that make that remind you of the world you're in. And, mm -hmm. I, and I did take that, you know, from it and saying, well, this is something that in a game you could probably do. Right. So like, you know, in one of the scenes, a guy says, Dennis Quaid says, and knowing is half the battle, yes. which is, you know, yeah. which is a, it's a cheesy classic G.I. Joe line and you expect someone to say it. And that's the kind of thing that in a game, if there's someone who has a, an iconic line or an iconic moment like that, you want to use that in your games to sort of ground the players into what the setting is yeah. or what the story you're telling is. That's like one of those RPGs where you have a, a saying that it's like a mechanical benefit. Like if you can work this in, you get right. a bonus. It's like, it's like in Star Wars. If you're playing Star Wars, somebody somewhere has to say, I have a bad feeling about this. Oh, yeah. If you yeah. don't, you've, yeah. you've failed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think at one point, Ribcard says Kung Fu Grip. And mm. uh, Duke says, knowing is half the battle, I think, when he says, because he knows who Anna slash Baroness is. Right. Uh, I mentioned at the beginning that I don't know why this movie didn't make a billion dollars, and later I watched the rest of the movie. But I want to ask. <laughs> um, so it turns out the, the budget for this movie was $175 million. That obviously doesn't include marketing. But does anybody mm. want to take a guess at what this actually brought in worldwide box office? Without cheating, without looking. Tom, what do you think this movie brought in? $2,009. Oh. Oh, I, well, okay. So they got a sequel. So you'd have to think that they made some money, at least on DVD sales, maybe. They're actually uh, working on another sequel. 2021 wow. is supposed to be a, another one. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to say it made money, but not very much. I'm going to say maybe 300 million. All right. So 300 million. All right. Dave, what about you? I'm going to go with 500 million because... It doesn't deserve that at all. It deserves to have made like four ninety nine that I paid for renting it. <laughs> yeah, um, we, but the uh, fact that it's the the fact that you're asking this question means it's either ridiculously high, or or it made like eighty, and they're making them just out of hubris. All right, Enrique, do you have a guess at what it made box office worldwide? Box uh, office? How much did you say it cost? Oh, one seventy five. 
175. So I'm going to say that this movie made maybe 260, 270. All right. So Tom, it actually was close as 302. Not counting wow. the $5 that it got from David this weekend. But I actually, <laughs> I, I think the secret to their success is that they actually also invented fidget spinners. And that probably yes. was a billion dollars because Storm Shadow was fidget spinning those yes. uh, throwing stars the whole time. That's very true. That's so true. I also want to agree completely with what um, you said before, uh, Enrique, in the sense that the over-the-top nature of so much of it is something that really works as a game much more than a movie. Like we, in the role-playing game sphere, we are not a medium, I think, that favors subtlety. I just don't think, I just think that when you ask people to sit around and concentrate for four hours at a table, small details and things can work, but I think, you know, being over the top with everything, with your descriptions, with your events, with your ludicrous telenovela connections and with how characters can be really, really over the top, I think works so much better in a game than in a movie. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, I absolutely yeah, I agree with that. That heightened nature is going to be very memorable in a movie. And that might be like your favorite moment of a game session, mm -hmm. which is one of the worst moments of an actual movie that you're watching. Yeah. Uh, so Enrique, you mentioned at the top, you might have a hard out. We're getting close to that. So I want to make sure I give you a little bit of time here in case you do need to jump out before we're done. Uh, so a couple of questions I always like to ask is one, is this a movie that you would recommend for the game aspects? I think we've kind of already touched on that a little bit, but just to codify, if you'd say that. And then is there a particular game system that you would suggest that maybe this would be a good fit for? If you were going to run a G.I. Joe style game, do you have any recommendations on which system you'd use? So is, is it a game I would recommend? Look, uh, is it a movie I would recommend? I, I, again, I love G.I. Joe, and I think there's a segment of the population out there that loves G.I. Joe tremendously, and if you offer them a G.I. Joe game, uh, they would jump at the chance to play it. I would probably be one of those guys that would say, hell yeah, I'd play a G.I. Joe game. You know, let me be a roadblock, or let me be, you know, I have all these characters in my head that I, that I grew up with, so yeah. Um, I don't think this is the best uh, representation of what G.I. Joe is, uh, they they took a lot of liberties, you know, with GI Joe, but that's fine. I, I get it. Um, if I had to uh, a game system for GI Joe, um, honestly, I don't know if there's a crunchy modern military type game out right now um, that would fit the bill. I know back in the day, D twenty Modern was kind of the the go to, um, you know, for this type of thing. Uh, but today, I today I may even say, you know what? maybe this doesn't deserve crunch because this is so cinematic and so out there that maybe what you're looking for is like a storytelling game that lets you do crazy wild things like, you know, like a dungeon world or an apocalypse world where you kind of create these, you know, characters with these type of moves mm -hmm. and, and, and let the story flow from, from, from the storytelling um, and, and keep the crunch, you know, down to a simpler level. I think that might actually work best because you might be able to, think even more over the top because you're not limiting yourself to what's on a paper on a character sheet um, and a couple of skills and, and, and weapon stats. Yeah, I, I think the idea of going towards like a military style modern age D28 or D, modern, D20 modern or modern age from the age system uh, is like the thing you, you start with. But I, I agree with you. I don't think those actually would be good representations because again, in my mind, this is a superhero story. Yeah. Uh, so I think something like that. So what about you, uh, David? What kind of systems do you think would be good for this system or this game? I, I thought I would, my go-to for this would be masks. Mm. Um, if I could get the players to do the role-playing that was sorely missing from this movie. <laughs> um, I can see it as epic tier D&D one or two shot against like an Eberron background. So you can get like dwarven mecha suits mm -hmm. and, and that sort of business. Um, I was also thinking of, oh gosh, I'm having a blank. Uh, Genesis. I was also thinking about the Genesis um, D12s represent um, like story-based complication thing that helps explain away the, look, they're going to try and throw you off the roof, roll the dice, look down. There's a couple of complications and a player says, can it like, you know, drop like a cow catcher on the front and start <laughs> flipping cars at me? And you go, yeah, yeah, it can. <laughs> yes, um, it can. Uh, so those were the ones that, that, that came to my mind. All right. And uh, what about you, Tom? Yeah. So, so as far as uh, I think that any sort of contemporary 
you know, pulp action RPG could do it. There is actually a Savage Worlds uh, G.I. Joe RPG with the uh, serial numbers filed off called Freedom Squadron, which does a lot of things within the Savage Worlds system to make it fit the G.I. Joe setup. Uh, obviously, there's also actually a G.I. Joe role-playing game coming out from Renegade Studios. They're doing one for all the Hasbro properties. So they're doing one for Power Rangers, uh, G.I. Joe, My Little Pony, uh, Transformers. So that's all upcoming uh, using, you know, 5th Ed D&D. And so I'd love to see how that works and how they can, I, mean, I think D&D can, or D20 can basically do any high action, mm. you know, genre pretty well. I would also use uh, fate for almost anything. So I could definitely see fate, you know, particularly with some of the catchphrases being aspects and things like that. Right. Um, and cool. also Trinity. I think Trinity from um, Onyx Path Publishing, that's a really good modern pulp um, sort of action thing that I've run a few times. And I think that would work really well for it as well. Uh, I think, so one of the things about this obviously is the vehicles and going back to the cartoons to, you know, the vehicles mm. were a big portion. And I don't know of a great system that really, uh, does that well. I do think Savage Worlds was probably the first thing that really came to my mind because, again, you could do it as a military version or you could do the superhero Savage Worlds again because I think that's a fit. Uh, mm. I think Cypher System might actually work here where you could divide, decide your, your Cypher statement, you know, my U.S. military guy who, and then put in whatever your specialization is, uh, you know, who uses a sword or uses a crossbow or can infiltrate whatever the case might be. Um, but I think uh, Cortex, I'm not the most experienced Cortex uh, player, but I know that they're coming out with a He-Man version from Cortex Prime. And mm. I imagine there's probably a G.I. Joe. I mean, I guess G. Hasbro owns G.I. Joe, so they're never going to be able to do a legal, like a uh, licensed version. But if you can do He-Man, you can also do G.I. Joe. So I think Cortex Prime would be mm. something to look at. But uh, I actually played in a G.I. Joe game once. We used Wushu. And um, hmm. I, I think that's actually on the podcast. I don't know if it is, uh, made it or not. I think it did. But if you're not familiar, Wushu is super rules light. Uh, you know, like fate is crunchy compared to Wushu. And it was all just hmm. making up silly stuff and rolling a lot of dice. And it was a ton of fun. Uh, but I would say probably Savage Worlds superheroes would be my first actual thought that I would go to. Uh, completely random, but I just want to mention too, because at the absurdities, it just reminded me that there's nothing more absurd that happens in this movie than you have a multi, probably billion dollar state-of-the-art airplane that you can only shoot guns from if you say a Scottish word out loud. Oh, so stupid. That is so <laughs> dumb. It makes no sense. Like how it, you gotta be you gotta be faster to pull a trigger than it is to say a word out loud. Like, there's no way that makes any sense. Like, when you're in a dogfight, you're going, Tia, 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 Tia. Like, no, it just makes no sense whatsoever. I, I was trying to understand that when I was watching the movie last night, that that moment came on where he's trying to figure out how to shoot the gun. And she and she happened to guess, she just happened to guess that a Scottish word would, would, would shoot. And I'm thinking, if I'm screenwriting, if I'm the screenwriter here, why did I make that choice? Why? Like, why did I decide that the airplane can only like? What did that add to the movie? And it doesn't add anything. The only Nothing. thing it adds is it gives Scarlet another reason to be there. Yeah, I mm. guess it's 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 her character participating because she's not in the plane at that moment. Okay. She's not doing a whole lot, but she gets to be there and gets to participate and be important to the story. It makes no GD sense whatsoever. I I had thought to myself it was because. I went, well, in the toys, none of the controls were functional. Like that, that just slotted in there. You know, that, that might be a meta thing for someone going pew, pew, pew. Every, everything, is, everything is voice activated. And I loved the fact that you can just hop in someone else's weapons platform and just master it straight away. Because yep. when you're nine, you just grab the next machine along and shove the character in there and away they go. Uh, I do have to say, though, Michael, my favorite piece of complete ridiculousness is when those bombs go off and they say, look out, there's about to be tons of ice and steel come down. And it's like, but ice floats. Why is the ice that you're hiding under that floats, now that you've blown it up, going to sink? <laughs> like, have you created special sinking ice that oh. you're keeping secured up there until you blow? <laughs> But it's probably lead lead lined ice, and I, that that didn't even 
track on my radar how stupid that was but i i, I want to give you credit because i do think that actually that probably was a metaphor to playing with the toys as a kid and everything being voice acted i think you're exactly right it's still stupid but i think you're exactly oh yeah right. I, 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 by that point i had completely checked out of all logic oh, yeah. so i was yeah. just yep great it was it was so far along at that point but, but one of my other favorite things that makes no sense is is when you have your your flashbacks because we have, we have multiple flashbacks and we have one flashback where we meet duke and how he knows anna slash the baroness and that's classic uh you know role-playing game connections flashback i like that but mm -hmm. then we immediately jump into another character's flashback and it's like we're watching that flashback but we only have that flashback because snake eyes is like the most favorite character of everybody so we, we want to get his backstory too but this is duke's story there's no reason to have a flashback for snake eyes and then the the, the flashback makes no sense and again i mean i do agree that the kids fighting was probably one of the most entertaining fights on here but Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow, if you are a fan of the cartoon, which I was growing up, I watched that cartoon religiously, that was always the biggest thing. Like, what is it about these two characters? Like, you know, what's the story there? And so we get the story that this kid, this American kid who doesn't speak in the flashback, but we learn later, he took a vow of silence later. So there's no reason he wouldn't have talked then. Mm. It makes no sense. But he gets joined into this, I guess, ninja monastery club and then Storm Shadow kills their master like a week later because they're still both 12 years old. That, hmm. that makes more sense if they had been training together and like when they're 20, Storm Shadow, or, yeah, Storm yeah. Shadow goes ballistic and kills the master, but not when they're still both 12. That makes no sense. But That's that sequel, that, also, that week. Also, yeah. that's, that's supposed to happen like in the year 2000 in Japan. Like what are these places in Japan where kids are training with swords <laughs> and killing <laughs> What, what are they talking about? Yeah. <laughs> where, where in Japan is that school? So I, I want to hear about that. I, I want, yeah, I'd like, there, there needs to be an investigation on that. <laughs> yeah, um, but, right. I, but I have to mention that after Duke accidentally gets Rex killed, though he doesn't, but he thinks he did, he goes to the funeral in the rain, no helmet with sunglasses on. Oh, yeah, that, uh, yes. that is the most edgelord backstory uh, grief. I can't deal with my emotions from any RPG I've ever seen. Tom, uh, you would have loved yeah. this. That killed me. That killed the, the the glasses, the dark sunglasses in the rain while watching a funeral, rocking up on a motorcycle. I was and done. not just not that, just, that but it. it's a massive, massive motorcycle. It's just... and he pulls up just to drive off. Yeah, drive yeah. up, drive up, pose, drive off. <laughs> Who makes an appearance at a funeral? You know, like uh, who does a drive-by at a funeral? It does make oh, it I'm makes done. no sense whatsoever. All right, so we'll go back to you and Ricky again in case we have to go up here. Any final thoughts about this? Anything we didn't cover? Again, I've thrown out a couple things that just hit me like I couldn't get past. But was there anything else, good or bad, you'd want to talk about this movie and or the role-playing aspects of it? Yeah, so so I need to dump out after I after I finish here. So I'll be, I'll be very quick. Um, again, my 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 big takeaway here is there's enough characters here that you could pull from. Uh, you could certainly take some personalities for some big bad evil guys and ham it up at the table. Uh, players always remember memorable characters and memorable NPCs that you kind of breathe life into and and through actions and and words and things you say and the way you act them out and stuff like that don't be scared to be a ham at the table because players enjoy that fun and it's sure. part of it's part of the fun of dming and it's part of the fun of having a good dm at the table that does that kind of thing for you and there's certainly plenty of characters and cheesy lines in this movie that you could write down and and a couple of sentences about how Destro acted or how cobra commander acted and you could certainly steal stuff from there um, and the other big point is uh, taking stuff that you saw in the movie that kind of grounds the movie as a G.I. Joe movie and, and certain lines and certain situations that you could also take for your game. Like, for example, if you're going to go, I'm going to use D&D as a reference. If you're going to go to Waterdeep, you may as well go to the Yawning Portal and go to the, you know, have your players visit the well that takes you down to Undermount. At least see, see the it. sites. If you're At going to the city, see the see, sites. See the sites and, and see why these places are unique and iconic to D&D or whatever other setting you're playing. And in G.I. Joe, for example, when, you know, when the boss says, knowing is half the battle, uh, you know why he's saying it. It's a wink-wink to the audience, but but it's a good wink-wink that you yeah. expect that from a, from a game like, uh, from a movie like G.I. Joe. Okay. Um, having said that, Michael, I'm sorry, but I have to, I have to uh, finish, wrap it up here. Uh, thank you for inviting me on. I, I had a great time talking movies. I, you know, let's do this again sometime. Absolutely. You're welcome anytime, sir. Thank you for your uh, participation. It was lovely and to meet you. Lovely to meet you too, Thomas, David. I hope we can do this again. Yeah. Thank you for your contribution to the hobby.
take care, guys. I, I, I hate to have to dump out, but I got company in the house. Oh, no. I understand. All right, Bye. so Tom, I'll, I'll go to you. Any, any final thoughts, anything else, again, you just want to bring up for the absurdity level or any, just <laughs> anything else you want to say before we end up wrapping things up here? Yeah, no. I mean, so basically, as far as just, just trying to mine it for things that are good to bring into a game, I completely agree with Enrique that the over-the-top nature of everything is really, really good. Not being afraid to go, you know, <laughs> 11 out of 10. Um, one thing I, I did want to bring up also, one really good thing it does that applies to gaming is just getting into it. I timed it. It's I think it's 14 minutes before they are in, despite the weird absolute prologue of starting in 1641 France. Yep. They do the introduction so quickly. They are in the base, being taken around, introduced to the GI Joe facility in about 15 minutes. And something I struggle with as a GM sometimes is too much exposition up front, or you know, getting to the getting to the plot hook, you know, getting mm -hmm. to it all. Um, I think it's a really bad example of a team dynamic because I think that while GI Joe should work best as a real team game that would be perfect for role playing games. It's really just Duke, and he has a couple of sidekicks that get to do some stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that, you know this is one of the things where movies and books don't always translate perfectly into role-playing games. That's something I struggled with a lot, especially as a younger DM. Is that like a lot of the fiction I would read? You always had your one hero, yeah, and then you had the people around them that were important to the hero, and they were important to the story, but they weren't as important as the hero. If the hero died the evil people lost. If the hero lost a companion, that was something for them to deal with. But in a role-playing game, it should be most of the time, 99.9% .9 of the time, it should be a team game where everybody's character has equal importance. Maybe not in each session, maybe not in each moment, but mm. overall, it's rare for you to have a character in a role-playing game who is the hero, and then you have mm. the sidekicks. There are exceptions, like there's the Buffy role-playing game where somebody gets to play the Slayer and other people get to play the Scooby game. But I think yeah. that's a particular type of game you're signing up for. And yes. you, you say, I'm going to have fun being part of the Scooby game. So that's fun for mm. me. But again, D&D, &D, sort of a typical game, game, no, you shouldn't have one character be the main hero unless everyone's on board for it, that session zero stuff. And even then it needs to be a short, like maybe like a five session game, because I can't imagine, everybody drinks that session zero, um, that I would want to play a long-term campaign knowing my character is second fiddle. Agreed, completely agreed. All right, uh, David, how about you? Any final thoughts, anything else you want to sort of wrap around before we sign off? So some positive things. If you're nervous as a DM or game master about writing characters in big, broad strokes, watch this film because mm -hmm. what you're doing will be better than this. And recognize that some of the cheesiest, scene-eatingest, ham-fisted stuff is done by genuinely good actors, people who, who can do this. And they just have a ball. Joseph Gordon-Levitt is covered in makeup and they've just said can you do evil and he's gone can i do evil and <laughs> and he's gone like just let me know if there's too much and this director has gone what do you mean too much i, I don't understand what you're saying what? yeah so as a game master to echo what enrique said um and to riff off sly flourish or i think it, that's where i first saw it, the the three sentence npc uh like that's all you need and then lean in hard uh mm. if the other one was this is definitely a railroad game and sometimes some of the critical exposition was just an npc saying okay team you're now going from here to there and <laughs> mm -hmm. uh if i think about this as uh, uh like you and your friends are together for a one day one shot uh and you just want to get through this then accepting that you are just going to move from plot point for plot from plot point to plot point and if everyone's signed on to that and gone look i've got this epic bunch of scenes lined up trust me i'll get you from one to the other if your players say yep we're in like just go hog wild as a game master your vfx budget is unlimited so when i saw this massive undersea base that took me out of the movie and made me go why are you even bothering like you've got your whole undersea country anyway yeah but then the game master in me was like hell yeah hell yeah like this thing's a mile across and has laser cannons and tubes and if it wasn't for your tuna camera like 
go crazy. If you're a newish GM, watch this and go, you've got permission to go as big and hard and large as you want. Yeah, actually, yeah. there there are some lessons that you can take here, particularly if you're newer. You know, I like to think that as a more experienced GM, I have a little bit more subtlety that I can weave into stories. But again, if I'm running a one shot at a convention, I'm going to go big and broad, like Enrique said. But one of the things I would take away here is your NPCs definitely define them broadly, like we've all said, and then mm. see who the players gravitate to, because there were a whole bunch of Joes. Mm. that were in the background but we really only interacted with a couple scarlet became important because one of the player characters wanted to develop a romantic relationship now as far as the movie goes not great but in a role role playing game you might have four or five npcs that you're flowing around and one person's like i want to talk to that one more i want to get to know them whether it's romantic or not then you bring them closer then you start to fill out more and more of their details and you make them a more fleshed out character but it's good to start with broad strokes and see who your players are interested in and then define them. If you spend all kinds of time making these really elaborate, detailed, fully flashed out NPCs, more power to you, but 90% of that time will be wasted because they're not, they don't care most of the time. They're not going to talk to every single NPC to, to get to that background information. So I like to throw out things broadly, see who they are interested in and then spend time coming up with more stuff for them so maybe thought- that explains the celtic command that if i <laughs> when i see this as the game it's like the game master's gone i got nothing for scarlet this mm-hmm. player's decided they really like her yeah so she <laughs> she needs to come back somehow what can i do with her and then i i think there uh, again i think enrique said all this but he said it really quickly so i'm just kind of expounding on it but like they went to paris of course the Eiffel tower is going to be oh, the cool. target of the missile. And again, pr- forgive my pronunciation, but is it the Pomf de something, that archway? It's like the, the, the Champs-Élysées? Isn't that that archway where the roads, like she-, she Arc de Triomphe? That's it, Arc de Triomphe. Arc, she, yeah. she like jumps her motorcycle through it. So <laughs> we saw the we saw the site. So like we saw the big things. Of yeah. course, the Empire Strike Building was going to be, or the Empire Strike, the Apple Tower is going to be part of that. Then we had a desert scenario then we had an ice and an underwater so these almost like star trekian things like this set piece is set in a desert it's very clear everyone knows what a desert is it's sandy and dooney it's underwater we get that it's on ice we get that so that you know a lot of the mental work can be done for you because you're using language that people are already comfortable you don't have to spend a long time explaining what it's ice as far as you can see okay all the tropes (laughs) that deal with ice they're there if you need to, you know, interact with them, we'll, we'll say that you know there was a particular ice flow here and ice flow there. Uh, so I thought that was, uh, you know, a good thing to bring in as well. And then I had one more, but it's completely slipped my mind. So give me a second. Let me see if I can remember what it was. No, it's gone. I, I couldn't think of the, the 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 name of the Paris places and that everything else went out of my head there. Okay, <laughs> that was probably enough, anyways. Um, so yeah, I I actually enjoyed the movie, I think, more than anybody else did. It's not a good movie, but I kind of enjoyed it. I saw elements of Avengers, I saw elements of Iron Man. Those acceleration suits use some of the like some of the imagery of like the boots coming on and then the kneecap thing spinning. That is straight out of Iron Man. It's just not done as yeah. well or you know, or as maybe as advanced. I don't know. Um, so I guess one more time, Tom, any final words, any final thoughts, and then we'll wrap up here. Uh, I'm just trying to think. I think we've covered so much, but uh, but no, look, it, it'd be the perfect game for a one shot. It's it's not a good movie, but I enjoy the action scenes as I do from from this director all the time. Uh, yeah, no, I think it can be, it works really really well for a one shot game. I can certainly see it being done. Um, and I'm I, my final thought is I'm really curious to see what the actual GI Joe role playing game that uses D and D is going to look like because mm-hmm. they're going to use the same system for you know. Uh, Power Rangers, Transformers, and this, and you know, when they're all out, you can have a big crossover, and that'll be hilarious. <laughs> that would be great as well. All right, so David, uh, any final thoughts from you? Um, I'm just going through my notes. Uh, I While actually looking, really did enjoy this. So I did remember my other, one, which I had already touched on, was just using characters' backstories. Obviously, mm. Duke had come up with a backstory that he was engaged, and so when the DM got that thing is like okay well then i'll use that character and i'll i'll go one step more and bring the brother back in too um so again i think i already touched on but yeah using your character's backstories into your plot i think is effective i don't know if it was done well here from a movie standpoint but from a role-playing game i actually loved using the ex-fiance and the fiance's brother i thought that was 
pretty actually pretty good from a game standpoint. So my apologies. So back to you, David. Yeah, I wanted to say I really like the Grey Goo as a... I thought that was underutilized in the end. Having the thing that you're... To challenge Epic tier players, you've got to give them something that they can't just hit. So I, I liked the the Nanites. I don't know why they stop working when they go in the upper atmosphere, but that's fine. And And... Once I felt like I was a game master trying to run this game and the players just making weird choices and latching onto weird things, I, I loved it. I, mm. I really enjoyed that. And, went, and hence my one sentence review of this was probably a great game to play. Yeah. And it's why, you know, why you think when you're running your campaign, you go, oh, my campaign would make the best movie. Odds are your campaign would make this movie, but yeah. that's okay. <laughs> Right. <laughs> That's okay. You just play it. And yeah, if you yeah. and every if if you're having fun, you're doing it right. Um yeah. talking of catchphrases. Yeah. That's a smart thing to say. I know. I should like write that down. Someone trademark that. <laughs> yeah, and well just to, to 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 marry off that, like how many times this is it's a very classic stereotypical trope of the nerdy guy at the game store boring everyone to tears telling them about their game. Yeah, just because like you might have the great game that everyone loves, everyone at your table loves it, but mm. most games translated back through to another person don't always work. So, and I think to David's point, I think that's what this feels like. This was a great game. Someone's telling us about it, and the audience yeah. listening to this at the game store just wants this to be over because like dude, my, <laughs> my burger's getting cold. I got to get home. You know. Whatever. <laughs> I could keep track of those five ones that you did with the big accents, but you're telling me there was like 30 characters. I, I've, I'm, I'm lost. <laughs> I'm Good lost. One. Yeah. So I also have guy, one. Yeah. I have another note here, which is why cross the desert on a camel when you can cross it in a burrowing torpedo? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's just science. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> G.I. Joe was not part of my life, Michael. This is like the second oh. piece of G.I. Joe I ever consumed. Okay, no, so I the sheer up. range of vehicles, like the vehicles that fly and then as soon as they land, jettison their wings and become snowmobiles. Right. Uh, it's like, how do you get back? You've just jettisoned your wings <laughs> and you had them on you? Uh, I, <laughs> I, I, and the yeah. outfits, they had. They happened to have the snow outfits, right? Oh, One yeah. And okay. including snake eyes with these little mouth thing again, the lips. It's yep. amazing. Yeah, that's and you zoomed in on those lips. They oh, zoomed no. in on those lips. Yes. And when he said it, the screen, I'm not a screenwriter, but I was going, the, it's like Chekhov's vow of silence. He's going to have to say something super cool. That's the only reason you've had these lips this whole time is because you're going to say something. And then he just does it. <laughs> nope. Now, that yeah. in my mind, that 100% is a production note. Some executive is like, well, it's harder to connect with a character that doesn't have lips. Same thing happened to, the tra- to Optimus Prime in the first Transformer movies. In the cartoon, he just has like a faceplate, but they gave him lips in the movie. But then when he goes into battle, he, the thing comes up because it, apparently it's harder to connect to a character that doesn't have a mouth. So I'm sure mm-hmm. someone's just like, he's the most popular character. We have to give him a mouth. But no, it just looks really dumb and it's awful and you should feel bad. Yeah. And you should watch Pedro Pascal, who did absolutely fine yeah. with like a visor. Oh, just like a yeah. head tilt and, and like a yeah. lanky way of walking. Oh my God. I love that. I, I just, and Ricky mentioned Star Wars and I wanted to geek out about that, but I didn't. I, we didn't have uh, time. You have to restrain uh, You know, there's this. If you were a G.I. Joe fan, just it sounds like you two are. And like when I'm watching Star Wars, I'm not a huge into recognizing the ships, but I recognize more than most people and I like enjoy mm-hmm. seeing them. So whenever they named a machine, like we've got hostile mantas behind us, is the manta like the toy you wanted when you were 15 because it floated and had real firing missiles or? So I don't have that connection. Like I didn't recognize a lot of the names, but I recognized that they were putting them in. Like the pet was like a playset you could buy. And I think they mentioned two more. They like, like there's just like the intercom says these two people are going to different places. And I'm pretty sure those were also playsets. So, and like the fact that the wings came off, like I don't know the name of that vehicle, but I, I remember there being GI Joe vehicles that the wings would pop off and then it would convert to other things. So I didn't have like the named recognition, but uh, but the the aesthetic definitely was a recognition for me. 
Yeah. So for me, I actually didn't really watch G.I. Joe as a kid at all. Um, in fact, like the first that I ever was really, really introduced to it was the YouTube parodies of the PSAs, ah. which is still are still hilarious uh, in some ways. But the um, I remember looking into it a few years ago for a game, which was to run for a, for a convention here in Brisbane, like a, a League of Extraordinary Gentlepersons um you know, contemporary ones set in the 80s. And so it had certain player characters from TMNT and Transformers and G.I. Joe and, uh, you know, other things like that. And so in order to, you know, integrate the G.I. Joe lore into this ludicrous mashup that I had for this convention game, I went and looked up a whole bunch of G.I. Joe stuff and watched some episodes. And uh, yeah, so yeah, I, I have no idea, but I do know for a fact from my limited research that vehicles were a, a huge, huge thing. Mm -hmm. uh, absolutely all right so with that we will go ahead and wrap things up so thank you both again for joining me thank you to enrique uh, for joining us as well uh so one more time where can people find you if they want to hang out with you on the internet if you have any projects you want to plug david i'll start with you this time uh you can follow me on twitter at tigranosaurus one it's a mashup of the t-rex and a tiger and believe it or not, I'm not the first person to have thought, thought of that. So it's Tigranosaurus one. I mainly, uh, before 2016, it was purely like podcasty and uh, game stuff. It's a bit more political recently, but uh, hopefully that will change again soon. And uh, here's hoping. And um, apart from that, just an occasional GM, always up for a chat and uh, here for members of the community online if you ever need me. And Tom. Yeah, so most of my online presence is pretty much just, you know, through the podcast. So once again, it's Shared Sagas. Uh, we are on your podcatcher of choice. And also on we have a Facebook group. Um, so if you want to jump on and also a Discord on the D20 Radio Network, we have a, a channel on that uh, Discord for, you know, discussions with us. But yeah, that's that's pretty much about it. All right. Uh, and as for me, pretty much everything I do can be found at the RPG Academy. Though I did start a podcast about a year ago now uh, called Farm to Fable. That's about Smallville, the TV show. So it kind of relates great. here because we break down each episode of the show. Uh, so if you want to find that, you can find it at Farm to Fable on Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff. And I don't do it enough, but please consider supporting our patron or Patreon. We have a, a small number of people that support us financially that have been doing so for, for way too long, probably. Um, but it really means a lot. It allows us to continue to do the things we want to do and gives us the confidence that we can try new things and help support the podcast. So please consider doing that. You can find that at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And there'll be links in the show notes to everybody's links, projects, Twitter handles and all that kind of good stuff. Uh, so please join us for our next film studies. I don't actually know what that movie will be because I don't know when this one is coming out in relation to the others. But a uh, big thank you to Caleb from the Released Podcast. He is our curator for film studies. He usually handles all these. And he's got some project in the, in the works for February. I think there's going to be a bunch of these coming out. So there should be several hitting you in February when this one comes out. So thanks and bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize, but there are expenses related to the show. And if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first, and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy, or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook, or join our Discord, where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can, and are always looking to talk and chat more. 
or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time. The music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.